I would ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Ephesians 6, I, I, I uh, was thinking about how we're nearing the halfway point of 2022. We're almost there. A couple more weeks, we'll be at the end of June, and half the year will be over. And, uh, and I was thinking of late how we could use a revisit of our theme for the year. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, now I want to read verse 10 through 20 this morning, and, uh, and, and notice the language that Paul is using here. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand, or to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. You won't be able to stand today if you don't have the armor of God. And that's not just notional, theoretical, that is real. Without the armor of God, you will be a castaway. You will be blown by the wind, a double-minded man or woman. You will not stand without the armor of God. Stand, therefore, in that armor. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, your, having your breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Be strong in the Lord. Now, Monday morning on the trip, we went to Grandfather Mountain and we... You know, we did all the things there, at least what was uh, open and available. We, we went down to the animal enclosures and saw about two or three of them. And uh, we went to the Mile High Swinging Bridge and we went in the gift shops and all that. But best of all, uh, all of us went on a hike on Monday morning. And we took them up the trail, the, the Grandfather Trail, all the way up to the top of McCray Peak there in Grandfather Mountain. And from the, from the parking lot uh, there near the Mile High Bridge to the top of McCray Peak is... Uh, only about a mile, maybe just a, a hair over, depending on how many times you have to turn around or get lost or backtrack to find the people where they're at. And we didn't have any of that going on, but uh, a little over a mile. And uh, something around 600 feet of elevation gain uh, once you do the whole thing. But every, anybody who's ever done it, and of course all that we're on the trip now know, it's not a gradual climb. Uh, it's a steep climb, and you start out very steep on, from the parking lot. Uh, going up the trail and so it gets you right from the beginning but uh, they stayed with it all the way and you got to remember now this is at somewhere by the time you get to the top of McCray Peak you're at over 5,800 feet of elevation so all this is being done at over 5,000 feet which if you don't live or or do much at that level often that's pretty tough and I said all that to say that I was extremely proud of our young people they stuck with it and they made that hike and made that climb and I know that they feel uh, better for having done it. It was a great experience. But knowing that no one had made that climb before, it seemed like a great way to introduce the devotional message of the day, which is from Ephesians 6.10. What does it mean to be strong in the Lord? And so we read that text, and, and that morning before we went out on the, the journey of the day, I read that, and I asked them the question, 
I said, what, what does it actually mean to be strong in the Lord? And I posed that to you this morning. I mean, we read this and it sounds like a great slogan. It sounds like a very encouraging verse to put in a greeting card and to wish someone well with. But really, in a practical, everyday uh, sort of way, what does it actually mean to be strong in the Lord? Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So how do I live that? What does that look like? So while we were out on the trail at Grandfather Mountain, I shouted that out two or three times along the way. Hey, what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? Just to get them to think about that. Because obviously there's a lot of metaphor you can draw out of the challenges of life and our need to rely on God. Um, we got back that evening and we gathered around the dining room table, had a big dining room table and we slid them together. And we gathered around that table and we talked all about this verse and what it means and that question. And I won't walk you through everything that the group sh shared, but... It was a really good group study, and I enjoyed hearing from them, and it helped me to learn, uh, to listen to them share. And I know one of the things that was said, and I'm probably paraphrasing a little bit, was uh, to be strong in the Lord is to uh, learn to allow God to be strong for me. Now that's what you call hitting the nail on the head right there. That's knocking the ball out of the park, and that's a summary of everything that I have to say to you this morning. And, but what I want to do is simply give you the thoughts that I had received of the Lord to share with them that evening about building true Christian character. And that is building a life that is based on Christ. And that kind of life requires more than being a good church member. It certainly requires more than being a success in the world. And it cannot be built in a life of selfish ambition or personal comfort. The fact is, until we surrender our entire lives to the cross, to our cross, let me say it the right way, until we surrender our entire lives to our cross and until we are willing to embrace the suffering of this life as the only path to maturity. Now I chose those words on purpose. The suffering of this life is the only path to maturity. And until we embrace that, we will never build true Christian character. Never. If we run from a cross, the cross, if we run from suffering, we will not grow. This is God's way. The life of a true follower of Jesus is one of singular focus. It's a life of simplicity. It's a life of separation. And as we talked about Wednesday night, it's a life of separation from the world more and more. Separation from my carnal desires more and more and a life of saturation in God's truth, in God's Word. There are things that are constantly being moved out of my life, and there is more and more of God's truth coming into my life, and so when I am separated and saturated, that puts me in a situation to live as a true ambassador, as a true soldier, as a true saint in this world. It's more a life of personal reduction this thing of following Jesus than it is a life of consumption. It is more and more a life of I must decrease, he must increase. It is far more a life of combat than it is comfort. It is a life of not parts, disconnected. Uh, you know, uh, emphasis on whatever I'm doing at the time, as in I've got my work and 
I've got my family and I've got church over here and I've got vacation over here and retirement's coming up. And it's not a life of disconnected parts. But the life of a follower of Jesus is a life of an integrated wholeness in which everything and every moment is becoming unified in God's will for my life. In pursuing God's mission in this world and preparing for God's life for me that is coming in eternity. And all my ambitions and plans and goals and achievements apart from that are worthless. I cannot judge the person, but I'm thinking of this and I, just to illustrate my point. We were driving yesterday and we passed a like a, I guess it would be like a pretty well-to-do farm type ranch thing. I don't know what it was, but certainly somebody with big barns and lots of tractors. And uh, we passed this place, and the first thing that caught my eye was the gate on the driveway. And I looked at that thing, man, I mean, the columns were this high and flowed down on the one side and that, and flowed down on the other side, big old iron gate in the middle, I guess with the family letter on it. And, and I, I, I cannot, I know nothing about the people that live there. I know nothing about them. They may be true followers of Jesus, but, but here's what I thought. How much money was put into the gate over that driveway? And it got me to thinking. You could tell it's an old place, an old home. I saw an old man standing down on a bridge on the property as we drove by with a tractor. And I thought, this is what I thought. I thought, you know... 30, 40 years ago when he started out, he was going to be big. And he worked hard. And he achieved. And he earned. And he built this fine house right out here in, in this mountain area. And got that big gate over his driveway. And now he's getting old. And now he's starting to humble over. And you know what? Soon he's going to die. And none of that's going to matter. And yet, I thought, that's how most of us live our life. If we don't have the big house and the fine stuff, we envy those who have it. And we're wasting our lives. Because to go back to the message from last Sunday, it's all, Peter says, it's all going to be burned up. You know, one of the best things we could learn is the value of letting it go. Letting it go. Letting go our seeking anything other than to be in integrated wholeness with God's will for our life, with God's mission in the world, and with God's planned life for us in eternity. Because that is how we're going to live forever. We're only living here for this very short while. But truthfully, everything I just said requires a lifetime of learning, doesn't it? You know, it's not that... Uh, we're going to get that at the age of 22 or, or you know, or 51. We're not, it's going to take a lifetime of learning. So you may sit there today and you may say, Preacher, I agree with you 100%. And oh, my heart longs to live that way, but I feel myself. I feel myself drawn by things in this world. I know that I, I mean, I, I told Athena the, the thing I just said to you after we passed that house. I, I shared with her those thoughts. And I told her, I said, you know, I've never had a big problem in my life with wanting to have the big things and all that stuff. But I said, you know, I, I started naming the things that I do see that in my life. 
It's just my way of the same sin. And my heart wants to be free of that. But it's, it's a lifetime of learning. And I thank God that he's working in us. And so, a child of God, will you sit there today and you say, Boy, preacher, I agree with you. And I want to live that way. And I want to be free of this world. Just, just keep trusting him. He's going to bring us. He's going to finish what he started in us. In the context, if we want to understand the question, what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? In the context, Paul gives us some things. He speaks of doing some things that would explain why he thinks we need to be strong in the Lord. Because he says in verse 10, you know, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I think that if you look through the verses we read this morning, you understand more about it because he tells us why we need to be strong. What is that strength needed for? And the first thing that we need the strength of the Lord for is to resist evil. You know, he, he says there to put on the armor of God and stand against the wiles of the devil and stand in the evil day against the powers of darkness and, and the principalities and the spiritual wickedness to stand against that. We must be strong in the Lord. Now, I've said it already, so I just a quick repeat, but you will not be able to stand in this day without God's strength. You will give in. You will cave in. You will live down here in defeat and discouragement. You must find your strength in the Lord because you are no match for what Satan has out there. You are no match for it. Now, you in Jesus are plenty match for it. I love that verse. I think it's John, is it John 16 or, or maybe the end of John 15 where Jesus says that, I, I've, I, and I, here again is a paraphrase, but he says, uh, he says I, I've said all I can say right now. Um, the, the wicked one is coming, but... Uh, just so you know, he has nothing on me. <laughs> I like that verse. I wish I could quote it for you exactly, but you know, read that sometime. It's like Jesus says, you know, I know he's coming. I know he's about to do some stuff. I know he's about to step into this perceived power. And Yeah, he's got some power, but you need to know something. He has nothing on me. Hey, and John said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you need to stay in Christ, abiding with Christ, because you're no match by yourself out there in that world. You will get crushed by it. The enemy knows too much. To resist evil, we need the strength of the Lord. And then to, be, to remain prayerful. In verse 18 and 19, Paul talks about prayer here. and He says, praying always with perseverance. He's emphasizing the need to be a prayerful people. I tell you, that's something that I believe God has really been trying to teach us in this church over the last few years. Is to learn what it means to be prayerful people. To live in prayer. To be living prayer. And you know, every true follower of Jesus can be that. You can have that. It's more than just the, 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 the routine prayers. Oh, it's always good to thank God at the mealtime. It's always good to thank God, you know, before you, know, you go out on your day or whatever to say a word of blessing or ask for a blessing. Those are good things, but they can be routine, and sometimes they can be not even heartfelt because we're not living a life of prayer always. And so he, he says to remain prayerful, to pray always and with perseverance, and to be able to pray for me, that I can speak boldly. He said you're going to need to be strong in the Lord. So we need, we need strength from God to remain prayerful. Now, he gives us a third thing, to not only resist evil and to remain prayerful, but to remain faithful. 
He says in verse 19 and 20 again, he says, Pray for me uh, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And I think what Paul shows us there, he helps us understand that even the Apostle Paul understood that he needed the prayers of the saints because he himself in his own strength could not stay faithful. Could you imagine going through the things he went through? I mean, the, you know, all the lists the, in 2 Corinthians, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the fastings, the, you know, the stoning, and all the stuff he went through, and then the doing without, and then the journeying day after day after day on foot to, and by sea to get places. And, you know, it, it might sound like some um, exotic adventure until you get into those day-by-day, hour-by-hour hardships of living that kind of life. And Paul is acknowledging here that uh, there's no way I can stay faithful. I'll have to be strong in the Lord to be faithful to God's call on my life. Now, every believer has a call on their life from God. Every believer has one. And to be faithful to that, you're going to have to be strong in the Lord. Because there will always be, um, what do we call those exit ramps along the highway there? There'll be detours and there'll be flashing signs that say, you know what, if you'll come this way, We can take and use what you've got and do something with it in this world. And yet God is saying, nope, straight and narrow. Stay straight and narrow. Don't pay attention to that. But if you're not strong in the Lord, you'll get sidetracked. You'll get pulled. You'll get focused on building a little empire in this world for yourself and making your name big and Christ will be forgotten. So we need to be strong in the Lord. When we look at these things, we ask and must ask then, what is required? What is required? How can I live this way? The fact is that living in Christ in this world is always difficult. And only the diligent can stand true. But the most diligent are constantly opposed. The enemy hits us with such continuous distractions in our life. He knows how to tempt our weaknesses. And knowing human nature as he does, that fallen carnal nature of man, the enemy knows how to lure us away and lull us into a selfish life of seeking pleasure and gain and wrapping it all up in a nice package called Christianity. And thereby we sit comfortably, living for ourselves in the name of Jesus. And if that's not idolatry, I don't know what is. But the enemy gets many people caught in that. But friends, if you've ever read your Bible, if you've ever paid half attention to the life of Jesus, of Paul, of Peter and John, then friend, you know that not one of these men would look at the modern church in Western culture and say, yep, now that's what Jesus died for. A religified country club where we pay our dues, which we call tithes, and we hold our meetings, and we catch up with one another on what we've been doing out in the world all week, and we slap backs and shake hands And then we go home to do it all again next time. This is not the Christian character of the culture of Paul. This is not the Christian character that he is calling us to when he says be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. When he goes on to describe armor and battle and being dug in in prayer and finishing the mission of God. This is not the Christian character Paul is calling on for us. The country club church attitude. So what does it mean? How can we be strong in the Lord? There's a hundred places we could look at. And I want to take you to another passage this morning before we close that will show us the key to strength. 
Why Paul understood it as he did. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul reveals the key to his strength and to ours if we want to be strong in the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to read the first few verses here. Now, follow closely, and yes, it's an interesting read. Paul speaking in the third person here, and it sort of sounds like a riddle. Verse 1, it is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one called up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was called up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory. Yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. Now the picture is clear here. Paul is saying to us in a nutshell, Paul is saying there was a time in my life 14 years ago, I'm not sure whether I had uh, you know, died and left my body or whether God just you know, took me up. I don't know what exactly happened, but I got called up into the third heaven and I saw things and I heard things. Man, I tell you, if I could just tell you about it, but it would just overcome and overwhelm me to talk about it. It was so great. And, but it's not lawful for me to tell you. I've been forbidden. Why? Why? Because I would glory too much in myself. I would begin to think that my experience meant that I really was somebody. The applause, the book deal, the following would lead me to think that somehow I am really somebody. And so I've learned something else. I've learned the key to true strength is to only glory in mine infirmities. Now look at the next verse. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. You know, any man or woman that tries to take the glory that, that belongs to God is a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul said, I was so tempted to take the glory myself. I was so tempted to follow that path and, and let my ambitions guide me and my desire to be known guide me. And he said, God was so good. He stopped me by giving me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me down. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. Now you've got to understand, this wasn't a hangnail. And, and this wasn't a long out, you know, 
drug out over years thing that Paul was praying over. I think it's interesting that he asked the Lord three times. And to me, that shows the magnitude of this problem. That Paul understood this is a major infirmity in my life. But he also understood and saw God's hand in it. And I, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And look what he said. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. <laughs> for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now before I read on, I want to stop right there and just say that is the key to being strong in the Lord. You say, what, what is it, preacher? What is it? What is, what is he saying? Well, let me break it down this way. If we want to know how to be strong in the Lord, the first thing Paul shows us is we must deal faithfully with our weaknesses. Faithfully. In fullness of faith, we must deal with our weaknesses. We must learn to bring all of our hurts and our lacks and our fails and our imperfections to God through Christ and lay it all before Him. Say, God, I know it, I see it, I own it. I shared some of my own um, imperfections with the youth the other day. I have to tell them or they'd not even know I had any. It's a good thing pride's not one of my problems. I'm pretty proud of that. But I, I, I told them this, though. I said, you know, you look in the mirror and, 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 and there are things you don't like. Sometimes you're alone and, and there are things that come up inside of you and feelings that you don't like. And you know, sometimes God allows those things for this right here. Because He loves us so much and He wants us to rely on Him for everything. And every time I look in the mirror, you know, I joke a lot about it, but i got to tell you something. I'm doing pretty good if I fit in the average, you know, in terms of appearance and, and looks. If I fit in the average category, I'd be pretty happy with that. I look in the mirror, and I'm glad when you walk away from the mirror, you forget what manner of man you look like. That's why when I look in the mirror, you know, I look like more of the Barney Fife type, but when I walk away, I feel like more of the John Wayne type, you know. I can live with that. God lets us see these things. And, and for some people, it gets into the physical realm of sickness, disease, or disability. But every one of those things, when we deal with those weaknesses faithfully, when we bring them to God through Christ, and we say, Lord, I see this. However and why ever it, it was allowed in my life, I see it as a means to be strong in you. Because where I am weak, you will be strong. And Lord, I own my weakness. I own my shortcomings. I own my imperfections. I receive them by faith. And I trust you to be strength for me in this place. See, many people allow the hurts and the lacks and the fails and the imperfections to become an infested thorn. Where bitterness and anger and disappointment take root. And they hold everybody at arm's length so no one can really get close because they're afraid someone will see the real them, the broken, unfinished person. 
Or some people, they just double down on their strength to fix things. I'm not going to allow my weakness. I'm going to, where I'm strong, I'm going to double down on that. They rise up in the, I will do this or that. Or, I will be somebody and no one will know about my weakness. No one will laugh at me. No one will think of me as less than. And either way we go, it's a deception of the soul to believe that we can mask our weaknesses and fool others and fool ourselves and most, mostly uh, fool God. We deceive ourselves to think that way. Paul owned the weakness of his life and he dealt with it by bringing it to Jesus and we must deal faithfully with our weakness. Jesus himself is our example, was Paul's example. Did he not pray in the garden three times that night, Father, if it be your will, please take this cup from me. But he added, nevertheless, not as I will, but, as, but your will be done. That's how we find strength, by dealing faithfully with our weaknesses. Let me give you a second thing. And I hurry to close, but listen, don't, don't turn me off yet. We need to rely fully on His grace. I understand my weaknesses and I, I'm going to deal with my weaknesses through faith, but now I must fully rely on His grace. Paul said in verse 9 that Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Grace is the endowment of God upon our life. And to be strong in the Lord is not to lean on your own talents and your own knowledge and understanding or means, but to yield all you have and all you are into His endowment. We understand we have weaknesses, but we must also not try to fix it by being strong ourselves. But we take everything that we have and everything that we are and we consecrate it to Him and we say, Lord, it means nothing without Your grace. Your grace is the strength of my life. Paul said something very important because we would look at how we're taught to act in the world today and think Paul got it backwards. He was emphasizing his weaknesses as the most important thing about himself. And that's not how we're taught to act or to think. But he does it. Why? Because he had learned that the surest way to obtaining Christ's strength in his life was to let go of everything that he thought was strong about him. Philippians 3, verses 4 through 8, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, he said, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul said, everything that was over here on my love me wall, all that stuff we put on there about all our accomplishments. Look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. Look, what I, look at all the stuff I've, I, I, I've, you know, people know me for this. I'm up to like 600 likes on my Facebook page. And I've already written, you know, two or three, well, I've already started writing two or three books. I'm just going to quit on those and go ahead and write another one now. You know, I, I'm doing stuff and, 
Paul said, you know, all jokes aside, man, he had done it right in terms of worldly success. And he said, I wadded it all up and got rid of all of that because it stood in the way of receiving the real strength of God's grace in my life. And friends, you must do the same thing. Now, you may not have the resume that looks like Paul's. You may not have all the accolades of being a great religious leader. When you walk out of here today and you go home and you take an honest look at the things you're most proud of, the things you spend the most time with, I mean you caress them and bathe them and look at them. You like to climb in them or on them and ride them and drive them and smell them. You ought to take an honest look at the things you're proud of. Them trophies. Some of you got trophies. The man who waltzes into the church meeting with all his confidence and swagger. And, and I'll show you. You show me that man and I'll show you a truly weak man. Whether it's he's in the pulpit, in the pew, in the Sunday school class, in the committee, in the deacon board. It doesn't matter. The man who comes in with his swagger and his confidence and says, I'll show you how this is done, is the weakest man in the room. And as soon as you think you have something to offer and something to bring to the table, friends, you are right then and there a cancer on the soul of the church. But when we learn this, 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. When we learn that, then we can be used of God. Let me give you the last thing. We deal faithfully with our weaknesses. We rely fully on God's grace. And then, to be strong in the Lord means to acknowledge joyfully the work of God in our life. Let's close the reading in verse 9. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. We feel the best when we have money in the bank account. And the bills are paid and we're eating the foods we enjoy the most and vacation is just around the corner. That's when we think we are at best. That's when we say, oh, hadn't God been good. We have missed it. We created a kingdom of our own and said, thank you, God. And God didn't give us that kingdom. Because if God could give us what He wanted to give us, He would give us Himself. But to have that strength, those sand castles we love have to be brought down and washed away. Because it is when we do not have. Paul said it is when people are reproaching me, talking about me, making fun of me. Now, now, now not because you're an idiot. He says, for Christ's sake. That's got to be emphasized. I know I've said it before, but I tell you, one of the most shameful people is those people that walk into a place and say, I'm a Christian, I'm here to straighten everybody out. And just kind of, you know, make a 
problems with everybody. I don't hang out with that crowd over there. When they go to break, I don't go over there with them. I ain't going to get, I, I've never had smoke in these nostrils and I'm not even going to stand close to them people over there. That, I mean, how much unlike Jesus could you possibly be? You might as well go pop a top and throw, light a joint. I mean, you're just as heathen to act that way. But, but back to the point. He says, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take pleasure in my sickness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rejoice when disease hits my body. I'm going to be glad when I don't have enough money. When I don't have enough food. I'm going to be thankful when I'm persecuted. This is not notional for Paul. This is a guy who's already described in this letter the things he had gone through. Distress, SOS, you know, emergency beacon going off. Panic is setting in. Oh God, deliver us out of this hurry, you know. Paul says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, when I'm in that, I'm going to joy in it. Because I know something's about to come. That's when I'm going to get grace heaped upon me. The supernatural life of rejoicing in infirmity and suffering is the strength of the Lord found in the life of a spirit-filled believer. And so, friends, the summary of this is the life of true strength in the Lord is a life of honesty. Now, we're about to pray. And this will be a time to pray over this. It's a life of honesty. There are things about you that you don't like. There may be things about you that you don't like that you could effectively change. Now, God may thwart your attempts to change them if your desire to change them is so that you will get more glory. You, know, you say, well, I'm fat, I'm skinny. But if your desire is to change your body so people will look at you and say, what a fine look, and mm, yeah, they look good. If that's the reason you're doing it, your Heavenly Father who loves you so much may thwart every effort you make just to keep you from glorying in yourself. Your design may be, you know, boy, if I just had more money. Why can't I get ahead? Why can I not? I've said this a bunch of times through the years. God's never given me a bunch of money. And even when it looked like more money was coming, He gave me more things to use it. <laughs> Some days, here I am at 45, I don't feel like I got more money in my pocket or my bank than I did when I was 25. And I think that's the grace of God. I really do. I'm afraid that I would squander and waste in a, just an awful way. Anyway, you get my point. We need to be honest about our weaknesses. Pray over that. And then humility. The humility of saying, Lord, if I can do anything, if I, if I have any talent, if I have any ability, it's yours. It's not me. I, I have nothing. Lord, at a simple thought, at the breath of your nostril, it can all be taken away. I have nothing. If it's not you and God, I ask for your grace on my life to serve you, to live for you. And it's a life of holiness, of saying, oh God, I'm just going to joy in you. I'm going to lift my heart. I'm going to give you praise and thanksgiving for all the, the, the troubles that come my way. 
I'm going to rejoice because they bring with them more grace, abundant grace, sufficient grace, overflowing grace. Will we be honest and humble and holy this morning?